she cannot get it out of her head that she's separated from God. She asked tonight, so God must be sinful then, right? Because he keeps people separated from him. That's where her mind has gone. Yesterday on the bike ride, we were going along and my son Judah was slowing down too much and I had to come up on side of him and we're on North Shore Drive, which there's no space. And I'm like, you've got to speed up. I can't be on the side of you or else we might get hit. You know, you don't want us to get hit. Zoe piped in at that moment and she said, yeah, Judah, and I'm separated from God. So if I get hit, it's over. (laughs) My goodness. Now, I don't know if that's the Holy Spirit or if that's just good old-fashioned manipulation. She was naughty yesterday, which is not an uncommon occurrence. My wife was dealing with that. This is being recorded. Anyway, she couldn't calm down. She was just cutting loose, and she says, I'm separated from God, and I just can't stop sinning. She's on to something, right? Praise the Lord for the Spirit's work in hearts, even the youngest among us. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27 this evening, and let me pray and just commit our time in the Word to the Lord this evening. Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before Your Word. We bow before You, understanding that You are the Creator God of the universe, that You designed us with great wisdom. You designed this world, and You designed us. And with that wisdom, You you put into motion even a plan for us to live righteously and to live morally correct in the way that You wanted. And Father, through sin we failed, and it's brought many terrible consequences to this planet. Lord, we want to, in the power of the Spirit, ignited by the Word, seek to live the way that you want us to live, knowing, Father, that there will be trial, there will be storms along the way. Help us to submit to you even in those times. God, you are good, and we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray these things, and all God's people who are excited to hear God's Word said together, Amen. Amen. It had been an exhausting stretch of ministry. Jesus' popularity was growing as the demand for his teaching was also growing at the same time, and he would teach for hours, assisted by his disciples. He'd attempt to take a break only to be confronted by another crowd. And after one particularly taxing day, Jesus needed a break, and so they decided to move to the other side of the sea. They boarded one fishing boat. And Jesus descended into the stern of the boat to take a much-needed rest. He was out in minutes. Meanwhile, the boat journey was going quite well until a wind sprung up. It was a bit suspicious. Not only that, but dark clouds were rolling in from the west. And the next thing they knew, the storm had overtaken them and the waves were smashing against the side of the boat and coming up over the side of the boat and swamping their boat. And they were fearing for their lives. And somebody said, where's Jesus? And Peter says, I think he's sleeping. Peter opens up the door of the stern and goes down 
Incredibly, Jesus is asleep through this storm. And Peter rouses him. Jesus, wake up! We're about to die. Don't you care? Jesus wakes up. Comes up to the top of the boat. And like an orchestra conductor, lifts his hands over the sea. And he says, peace! Be still! Silence! The wind and the waves obeyed the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Isn't that a great story? Don't you love that story? We love that story. Why do we love that story so much? The reason we love that story so much is because we think of ourselves in the midst of life. We think of ourselves in the midst of a storm on the sea. And we love to know that we have a Savior named Jesus Christ who has the power to calm the storm. Amen? How many of you have ever been to a storm before? And I'm not talking about like a rainstorm in Iowa. I'm talking like a really tough time. I won't ask for a raise of hands, but how many of you are going through a storm right now? We love the story because we love the Jesus that calms the storms. But I want to press in on your hearts a little bit here tonight and ask you another question and get you to think just a little bit further. We love the Jesus who calms the storms, but do we equally love the Jesus who thrusts us in the middle of storms and lets them rage? You like that Jesus too? We love the Jesus that calms the storms. But do you like the Jesus that lets the storm continue to rage in your life? That's a harder one, isn't it? That's not the Jesus we tend to want in our lives. We like the Jesus that can calm the storm, but there's many times in our lives, there's many times in your life that He doesn't calm the storm. He doesn't fix the problem. In fact, He's the one that thrusts us into the middle of that and He lets it rage around us for His purposes. We're going to see this tonight in Acts chapter 27 if you look in your Bibles. And this is a phenomenal chapter of the book of Acts as Luke recorded a very long description of a journey in a ship. And we're going to go all the way through this chapter tonight into chapter 28 as well. I preached through the book of Acts and I was excited to get to this text because I had heard a sermon on Acts 27 and it was probably one of the worst sermons I've ever heard in my life. You're like, well, how do you know that? Because I've been preaching now for a long time. And instead of looking at the authorial intent of the text, file that little phrase in your minds. The authorial intent, I believe that good preaching is to communicate the author's intended meaning for a text to an audience today. He completely missed the authorial intent of the text and allegorized this passage, which you can do very easily. This guy is an amazing preacher, usually. But in this case, it's really missed the mark. So I was excited to get to Acts 27 because I wanted to see, what do you do with this text? How do you preach this text? It's a travel log. I mean, he's talking about ropes and lifeboats and pulling things in and out of the water and their peril on the sea. 
What is it that God wants us to know for our lives from a text like this? And I think really as you read this text, and it is an incredible story as he chronicles their journey from Jerusalem to Rome, which was a 2,000 mile journey. As he chronicles that journey, what they went through was truly frightening and truly perilous. And I think what Luke was trying to communicate is just the level of fright that they experienced and just how serious it was for them on this boat and how much they feared for their lives. Now put that in contrast with the promise that God gave Paul and Luke God said to Paul and Luke, you are going to get to Rome. I'm going to bring you to Rome. And here they find themselves not thinking they're going to actually make it because they're in the middle of this storm. And sometimes when we're going through things in our lives, it's easy to hold on to the promises of God. And I think you should hold on to the promises of God. God has promised to sustain you. God has promised to safely bring you through in your life. God has promised someday that you will be in glory with Him if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we like that side of it. But sometimes it's appropriate just to pause in the middle of life, even though you know the promises of God. Even though you know that God is sovereign. My goodness, sometimes things happen in life that smack you so hard across the face that you just really have to just pause and say, Lord, that was tough. Just saw on Facebook somebody post somebody that I've known from college that had a seven-year-old child die in an accident. That just, I haven't been able to stop thinking about that for the past couple days. I mean, that's tough. That just hits you across the face. And sometimes I think there's texts of Scripture like Acts 27 that just kind of let us sit for a minute and say, you know what, sometimes life really is tough. We don't have to jump too quickly to saying, okay, it's good. God's got it figured out. God's sovereign. We don't have to go too quickly. Sometimes we can just sit for a second and say, you know what, God, this stinks. And this is hard. And I'm struggling. And it's okay to say that. As long as you know that God's going to safely bring you to the other side. Let's look at some of the details of this text, and as we do this morning, this morning, sorry, I preach on Sunday mornings all the time. That's really tough for me. This evening, I want you to see a truth from this text today. I've entitled this message, ironically, a Mediterranean cruise. As Paul goes from, I am sick, aren't I? I? I am really twisted. Mediterranean cruise, as they go from Jerusalem to Rome. I mean, it was a Mediterranean cruise in one sense. This is what I want you to see tonight as we go through this text, that storms open doors of unexpected ministry. And my theme throughout the series here at Family Camp is to help you lay people, not pastors, not Christian workers, not missionaries, lay people to understand the incredible ministry opportunities that you have in front of you. And tonight, What we're going to see, and and, and this is about Paul's life, of course, but Luke was right with him. Luke, the layman, the layman that wrote the majority of the New Testament. You remember him? He was right there with Paul. And I want you to see the incredible opportunities that you have in front of you as you walk through life, as you walk through the tough times of life, because you will walk through tough times in life. It's not going to be easy. But storms provide unexpected opportunities 
of unexpected ministry. So let's look together at Acts chapter 27. I'm not going to read every verse through this because it just really gets hung up in a lot of details. It says, when it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius. So this introduces the characters for us. We have Paul. Now we have a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. When we had boarded the ship of something, I didn't practice that ahead of time, we put to sea intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So there's Aristarchus. So who are the characters so far? Paul, Julius, Aristarchus, and Luke, the guy writing this down. So it goes on, verse 3, the next day we put in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and let him visit some friends and so on, and they finally leave on this trip. And I want to show you this map. We're going to keep looking at this map throughout the sermon tonight. They're in Jerusalem. They need to get to Rome. So I didn't do super great in math when I was growing up. I was more of a uh, a verbal talker person. Big surprise on that, right? What's the shortest distance between two points? Correct, a very curvy line, right? 2,000 mile trip. So these verses here, they're going to tell us that they put out from Jerusalem, Caesarea is where they took off from to Sidon, and then they set off from Sidon and a wind blew them, instead of going this direction over here, a wind blew them north, and they ended up having to go up around Cyprus, landed in Myra to Sidonius. It was there that they boarded another ship, a very large ship, a grain ship from Alexandria, and then they sailed down to the area of Crete and landed at a place called Fair Havens. And so if you look at verse 8, it says, With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lacia. So that was their trip. They're trying to make it to Rome, and they end at Fair Havens. Now, at this point in time, they're trying to decide what to do. The trip has already taken them longer than they expected. And so they're trying to decide if they should push out and go further or stay there. Look in your Bibles with me in verse 9. It says, By now much time had passed. The trip's taken too long already. The voyage was already dangerous since the Day of Atonement was already over. Paul gave his advice and told them, Men, I can see this voyage is headed towards disaster and heavy loss. Not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping to somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete facing the southwest and the northwest to winter there. So here was the plan. What they wanted to do was to try to make it just a little bit further. This is about 40 to 50 miles. They just wanted to make it another 40 or 50 miles. I can relate to that as a dad on road trips. Amen, dads? Can we just make it a little further before we have to stop for a bathroom break? Please, Lord. Maybe it wasn't something like that. Maybe they liked the rest stop better in Phoenix. Or, as it says in the text here, they wanted to winter in Phoenix. That's actually what the text says. Who doesn't want to winter in Phoenix? Amen? Man, it's just funny that that's in the text. So, Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. I got a bad feeling about this. And they decided to set sail instead. He was ignored. They said, well, we can make it just, just, a couple, just a couple more miles, 40, 50 miles. 
Phoenix is a nicer place to winter. That's what we need to do. And so they took off towards Phoenix. Just want to pause for just a moment and make some application to what we've talked about here so far. Paul somehow had an in with the centurion. He had his ear to some degree. What I want you to see first as we kind of summarize this first section of the text is this, that storms open doors, as we said, the big idea of unexpected ministry. But what could that look like? The first kind of unexpected ministry that we see here in the text is storms open door to give people guidance. And here they're having a difficult time. And Paul is able to step up and say, guys, I really don't have a good feeling about this. Why or how would Paul have any qualifications at all to be talking about a journey on a ship? Anybody have any guesses about Paul here? Paul is experienced with this. He's already been shipwrecked. He's already spent a night and a day out on the sea. He knows what he's talking about. His experience has given him the ability to lend some advice. Unfortunately, his advice was not heeded. But there are times in your life, because of the storms that God has put you through, that you will have an opportunity to lend that guidance to somebody else. When you watch somebody else going through the same kind of storm that you went through, to be able to give them advice at a timely place in their life. Just had a conversation with somebody looking for Evan. Where's Evan at? There you are. Talking about adoption, weren't we? And one of the things when you're talking about adoption and foster care is it's not if you're going to get your heart broken, it's when you're going to get your heart broken. You know, it was just one of those moments to be able to talk to Evan and Laura and to say, you just need to know before you get into this. Is it still worth it? Yes. Because God wants us to minister to the least among us. It's still worth it. There's times in your life, because of the storms that you've been through, that you can step into somebody's life at an appropriate time and to give them some much-needed guidance. Let's move on in the text here. I'll bring the map back up for us on the screen. Look at verses 15, or 13 through 15, rather. Verse 13 says, when a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. Oh, this is great. Set sail from Fair Havens. South wind starts blowing up. This is going to be awesome. We're headed right for Phoenix. And then what took place? Now, I'm pretty upset about it too. That's that's tough stuff. Verse 13, they weighed the anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But before long, a fierce wind called the the nor'easter. The northeaster rushed down from the island. The Greek word here in the text in verse 14, translated northeaster, the Greek word actually is pronounced January Iowa wind. (laughs) That's how it's pronounced in Greek. We know what those winds feel like, don't we? Suddenly, they're headed to Phoenix and a nor'easter, northeastern wind comes blowing down this direction and blows them so far off of course that they land here in no man's land. What it says as it continues on, 
Verse 14, a fierce wind called the nor'easter rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it. We were driven along after running under the shelter of a little iron called Cauda. We were barely able to get control of the lifeboat. So he gives all these details as they are moving away from Phoenix. They wanted to winter in Phoenix, and now they're in no man's land, and they can't get control of the ship. And the details go on, and they do several things. They start to jettison some cargo. They take ropes all the way under the ship and try to bind the ship together because they were afraid the ship was actually going to break apart. And it ends here in verse 20. There's a summary verse here, and it says, For many days neither sun or stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. I like the word we there because you get the idea that Paul wasn't alone. This is Luke talking. Just think Luke, the doctor. Luke, the layman. Along with Paul during this terrible storm, they were fearing for their lives. Had God promised that they would make it to Rome? Yes. But was it really scary on their way to Rome? Yeah, it was, it was pretty frightening. They thought they were going to lose their lives in the process. And so we move on here in the text. Look at verse 21. It says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and says, you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. I love this right here. Paul had kind of a, told you so, told you so, you know, one of those little moments. And I like the fact that Luke included that here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? So this should give us, we should do that in our marriages. Don't do that. Just kidding. Verse 22, now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss of your lives, but only this ship. This was so scary. This was so intense. Paul was so fearful. Please just remember this for a moment. We're talking about Paul, the apostle. The unflappable apostle Paul. The man that was coated in iron-clad armory. I mean, the guy was a stud, right? Evidently, he was so scared in this storm that God sent an angel to Paul to reassure him in his time of greatest need. Verse 23, For last night an angel of God that I, that I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. It is necessary for you to appear before Caesar. God had to come and reassure Paul, Yes, I have promised you this. You will make it to Rome. I promise you will make it to Rome. It's not going to be easy, but you're going to make it. And indeed, God is graciously giving you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe, God, that it will be just the way it was told to me, but we have to run aground on some island. And I love the way that Paul stands up in this moment and gives hope and encouragement to people that are hopeless and fearing for their lives. And what does he do? He takes the Word of God and speaks the Word of God into people's lives at a timely moment. You will find times in your life, in the storms of your life, when you will have opportunity to step up and share with somebody the hope of the Word of God. Friends, we are living in hopeless days, aren't we? As you look around our culture, it is a hopeless culture, and everything that's happening in our world is not going to lead to more freedom. It's going to lead to hopelessness. 
And I think that even as Christians, we're going to face difficult days ahead in this country. It's going to happen at some point. Yet we know, yet God has promised, as the old song says, I've read the back of the book and we win. Amen? We win in the end. But it might be tough along the way. But we hold the promises of a sovereign God. And we hold true hope to people that are hopeless and dying in a world without Christ. So I want you to see, friends, number two, as we think through the implications of that section, storms open doors to give people hope. How many of you really enjoyed the pandemic of 2020? Let me see your hands. Thank you for your honesty back there. Yes, there's another. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are like, there's a bunch of freaks in here. What's going on? I mean, it wasn't a fun time. But man, it's been interesting as a pastor and as a local church to be able to give people hope in the midst of a difficult time. I don't know where you stand on things. I don't really care where you stand on things. We can all have different opinions on stuff. Our church wasn't a masky church. All right, I'm not saying one way or another. It's just we didn't even say anything about it. It's just the culture of our church. But what was interesting was to see people walk through the doors of our church in 2020 and cry because they were so overjoyed to see Christians' faces in a church building. Now, I'm not saying there was one right way to do that. I'm just saying there's a lot of people out there that are hopeless and we hold the keys in our hands to give people hope. Let's go on to the next part of this story here this evening. We've got the shipwreck that takes place. I want you to see starting in verse 27. And if I get the map back up there on the screen, that would be great. Verse 27 of this text says, When the 14th night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea. And this map right here shows this little squiggly line. I don't really know what it looked like exactly, but that's generally where they were. They really had no idea where they were, actually. And it says in verse 28, they took the soundings and found to be 120 feet deep. When they had sailed a little further and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep. And suddenly they feared that they were getting too close to the coast of Africa. And they knew there was a sandbar on the coast of Africa. And so they didn't want to get too close to that so they wouldn't run the ship aground. And so they dropped their anchor here in the middle of the Adriatic Sea to at least anchor them in one spot to try to weather this storm to some degree. Look what it says in verse 33. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day you've been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. Now just let that settle into your minds for a second. They had not eaten. We don't know exactly why they didn't eat, if they had gotten rid of the food, or if they were just so seasick they couldn't eat, but they were in this no man's land for 14 days in the middle of this storm. I think I would have been ready to give up after day two. Anybody with me on that? 14 days. They had no idea where they were at. The storm was raging. They hadn't eaten anything. And Paul steps up. He takes to the plate and says in verse 34, So I urge you to take some food, for this is for your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. After he had said this, 
Things had taken some bread. He gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And after he broke it, he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and took food themselves. And in all, there were 276 of us. And when they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard in the sea. They were getting ready to, to go ashore. 276 people. Verse 39, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach and planning to run the ship ashore if they could. And after cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. And then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. And this is just incredible detail. People living at this time would have understood this. I mean, it would have been like us giving the details of a road trip and having a flat tire and a windshield break and stuff like that. I mean, just this was common knowledge. But here they go. They, they see some land. They're excited. We're finally going to make it there alive. There's land. Let's go. Look what happens. Verse 41. At some point, you've you got to say, you've got to be kidding me. Really? Verse 41. They struck a sandbar <laughs> and ran the ship aground. Really? After 14 days of just floating out there in no man's land, that's going to happen? The bow jammed fast and re remained unmovable while the stern began to break by the pounding waves. And so the, the waves were breaking up the ship because it was stuck on this sandbar. Verse 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoner so no one could swim away and escape. But the centurion kept them from carrying out the plan. Why? Because he wanted to save Paul. Paul had proven himself at this point to be an asset to this centurion so he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. And in this way, everybody would reach the shore safely. Friends, 276 people made it to the shore alive because God placed Paul in the middle of that storm at the right time. Where does God have you in your life right now? I want you to see as we summarize that section number three, friends, is that storms open doors to give people physical aid. There's times that you'll find in your life where you're in a storm and how wonderful it is to get physical aid from other people. But here in the middle of this storm, Paul is able to give physical aid and he literally saved the lives of all these people because the soldiers were about to kill them because they didn't want the prisoners to escape. Paul's ministry in the midst of this storm was to save their lives. And you're going to find times where you can have a ministry to people, a ministry to give physical aid to people in the time of their storms. There was a young girl that comes to church with another family in our church. She's in middle school and comes from a really rough background. And this mom, the girl's mom, her bum of a boyfriend busted down the door of her house one time in a drunken rage. And so she calls the church and says, would you be able to help me with the money to get my door fixed. We had really never seen her at church. We see the daughter. She comes regularly. Sure. Thousand bucks to fix the door. Still haven't seen mom. Her daughter's in a stranger study with our youth pastor. It just seems to really be soaking in the gospel. It's just interesting to see what happens when you offer physical aid to people in their time of need and how that can open doors for the gospel. I'll never forget when we were adopting Elijah, our firstborn, people helping us out, giving us advice. And I remember walking out of church one day and someone just shoved, you know, did the whole handshake thing like this. And then as they shake your hand, you feel something in their hand. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're thinking it's spit. No, not one of those, like when you're in junior high. 
It's like paper, you know, something's there. Take it, open it up. It's a check. And she just said, I know adoption can be expensive. Man, that is so meaningful in those moments. To be able to come in the middle of a storm, in the middle of someone's time of need to offer help like that. I want to go on here in the rest of the story. They finally make it to this place called Malta. And so they've been out in no man's land. They run the ship aground. The ship's broken up and they land on this island called Malta. And what do we find on the island called Malta? It says, well, once safely ashore, we learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. Now, the word for local people is actually barbarians. How many of you have barbarians in your Bible? Anybody have barbarians? You read that? That was actually a very incendiary term because it was a way to designate people by their language that they spoke. And the idea was these people speak a foreign language and it sounds like this. Bar, 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 like that. Like the Greek word literally is barbar. And it was like an insulting term. That's where that word barbarian comes from. So they get onto shore and they're like, bunch of barbarians on this island, but they happen to be quite nice. Look at verse 2. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire, took us all in since it was raining and cold. Oh, thank the Lord we finally made it. There's Paul. Man, it's been a, been a rough few weeks out there in the middle of the ocean. We didn't know where we were at and we were shipwrecked. And This is great. We finally made it. Everything's okay. Nothing else can happen, right? What happens next? Verse 3. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. Paul's like, seriously, God? you got to be kidding me. We've just been shipwrecked. This has been a horrible several weeks. And now we get to a fire and I get bit by a snake? Wow. Verse 4, when the local people saw it, the snake was hanging from his hand. They said to one another, this man no doubt is a murderer, because even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. What did this do for Paul? Opened up another door of unexpected ministry. Number four in this little account on Malta, storms open up doors to give people the truth of the gospel. Look what it says next in the text, verse 5, but he shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. In my opinion, that's where all snakes belong, is inside of fires. Can I get an amen? They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead after they waited. Just imagine these guys like, is he going to swell up? I hope he swells up. This is going to be fun to watch. Maybe he'll foam at the mouth. I mean, they're just like in suspense. And it says, after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. All right, we're getting off on the wrong track here. Verse 7, now in the area around that place, there was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius, his father, was in bed suffering fever and dysentery. Paul went into him praying and laying his hands on him. He healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. And so they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. Now look at verse 11. After three months, we sent sail. They were on this island for three months. 
What do you think Paul was doing during those three months? I think he was sitting in a hammock on the beach. What about you? I have a feeling Paul was preaching, ministering to people, sharing the gospel with people, telling them the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's exactly what happened to Paul. And what's interesting is if you Google Malta, not right now, not while I preach, put those phones down afterwards. If you Google Malta, it's very interesting. It's still listed today as a Christian island. It has a population of 335,000 people, and every February 10th, they have a national holiday where they celebrate the shipwreck of the Apostle Paul on their island. Isn't that amazing? A national holiday to celebrate the shipwreck of Paul on their island. They've made it a tourist attraction, of course. That's, that's what religious people do, right? Got to be able to make some money on this somehow. This island was changed. 276 people on the boat. How many of them came to know Jesus as their Savior? The people on the island coming to know Christ as their Savior, and even now, 2,000 years later, they still have a Christian heritage because of Paul landing on that island. Just think of the destinies of people changed because Paul landed on that island. Now in the moment, I'm sure Paul was tempted to complain as he's sitting, warming his hands by the fire. Oh man, this is great. We're finally here and a snake comes out. Seriously, God? I'm done with this. This is stupid. I'm not going to serve you. You know, like he could have just gotten bitter about that experience. Have you ever been tempted to get bitter when you're in the middle of a storm in your life? Why more, God? Seems like there's some people you ask that question of, you see them in their life, and it just seems like things pile up on certain people, like they just have one trial after another, and you just scratch your head and like, why, Lord? Why? Why, why them? Why? I have brought up the last couple of nights, Jim in my church, the guy that orders stuff. Remember Jim, the guy that orders stuff? That's actually his last name, the guy that orders stuff. It's a very weird last name. Jim. Jim has cancer. Jim's probably never not going to have cancer. It's a slow cancer. They keep under control with meds. He's in his mid-60s. Someday he's going to die from the cancer. Jim had two sons. A number of years ago, his one son named Matthew, who is 12 years old, died of a brain tumor. Jim's mother-in-law died of a cancerous brain tumor a number of years ago. Jim's wife, Linda, just got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I look at them. Why, Lord? To me, it just feels like the snake coming out of the fire. Why? I mean, if I could choose anybody to have that happen to, I can think of other candidates to choose. No, I'm not going to say that. You do think that sometimes. Why them? I don't understand. But you know what's really cool about Jim and his wife, Linda? They're in their mid-60s. Both of them are probably going to go meet Jesus because of their respective diseases. Jim and Linda are part of our core team for our church plant on the east side of Des Moines. They're so dedicated to the Lord and His work. We put out the word, who wants to be part of this core team? 
Jim and Linda were some of the first ones to volunteer. We want to be part of that church plant. You've got to be kidding me. After all of that, man, their testimony is so cool to watch. How God continues to use them for His glory after one thing after another in their lives. Friends, that's not going to be all of our stories. That'll be some of our stories. But all of us will have a storm sometime in our life. And as you think through your life, as you think through the things that have happened in your life, I would venture to say that you are where you are today because of some storm that took place in your life. Can you think of something that's happened in your life that was negative that's brought you to where you are today? Man, that's all of our stories, isn't it? Somehow, something happened in our past that God used to bring us to where we are today. And as we talked at the beginning of the sermon about Jesus calming the storm, we all love the Jesus that calms the storm. But do you equally love the Jesus that thrusts you into the storm and lets the storm rage? And friends, that is honestly how Jesus functions more often than calming the storms in our lives. He lets us go through storms. He pushes us into storms. Why? Because there's moments of unexpected ministry inside those storms. In our church right now, we're preaching through Psalm 119, and there's this verse that popped out to me in this text. Psalm 119, verse 74. The psalmist is talking about the incredible affliction that he is under. I mean, everything's just falling in around him. And in verse 74, he says, Lord, this is my prayer as it relates to other people in my life. He says in verse 74, I want those who fear you to see me and rejoice, for I put my hope in your word. In the middle of his disaster, in the middle of his affliction, his prayer is that other believers would see him and rejoice as a result of what they see. His perspective was not in the middle of my affliction, please come, minister to me, I need to receive. His perspective in the middle of his affliction was, how can I give? How can I serve? How can I direct the glory to God in the middle of my storm? And that's the only attitude that's going to sustain you. If you have an I need attitude in your affliction, you're going to get bitter. If you have an how can I give attitude in the middle of your affliction, you're going to get better for Christ. That's the attitude we see of the Apostle Paul. But it's really hard to sometimes bring that together in our minds. Some Christians will testify how God saved them from investing in a venture that went bankrupt while others ponder the mysterious providence that permitted them to invest in that same venture and they lost everything they had. One Christian will testify how a traffic jam caused him to miss a flight that later crashed. Yet there's a mother of three children who will face an uncertain future because her husband made that flight and it crashed. One Christian will testify that God miraculously healed them of a chronic illness, while another family will stand around the deathbed of their loved one praying that God will heal and God will say no and take that loved one. One young couple will pray that God will give them a baby, while another one will continue to experience the loss of infertility. How do we reconcile that? I don't know. 
please don't try to wrap your mind around it. Please just understand, like in Acts chapter 27, Acts chapter 28, God said to Paul, you're going to make it to Rome. God says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. God said to Paul, you're going to stand before Caesar. God says to us, I will be faithful to complete the work that I've began in you. Yet God let Paul go through the worst storm of his life. And God's going to let the storm rage around you. But in the midst of it, look for those unexpected doors of ministry and the times that you can reach out to other people. As John Piper so articulately said in something he wrote, don't waste your cancer. Anybody ever read that one from John Piper? It's incredible. Don't waste your storm. In the midst of that storm, how can I give? How can I serve? Who can I reach? Friends, there's amazing ministry opportunities that happen for you in the middle of the storms that God has sovereignly placed in your life. Let's bow for prayer tonight. Lord, there are times in our lives where we really just need to pause. That it's appropriate to pause. And it's appropriate just to articulate like the psalmist does in so many places and to say, Lord, this is, this is tough. This isn't fun. This stinks. Lord, this pressure is unbearable. God, I don't know how I'm going to get by now that so-and-so has passed away. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to sustain another day with this chronic pain that you've allowed into my life. Father, there, there's, there's times. It, it's okay to say that. It's okay to recognize that. We love the Jesus that calms the storms, but so often the Jesus that we have is the one that lets us go through the storms. And so help us to hold firm to His hand in those times. And to not miss those unexpected doors of ministry opportunity that you give through those. As we continue to pray tonight, I would just want to ask you to, just where you're sitting, just think in your life. Maybe you're going through one of those storms right now. Maybe you just want to give God the glory for the storm of the past, how God used it in your life or use it in somebody else's life. Just spend a moment and pray. We're going to stand and sing just the chorus of this great song, He Will Hold Me Fast. And as we sing, if you want to just stay seated and continue to pray, God bless you, just, con just continue to do that. Maybe you just need to commit this to the Lord tonight. Maybe you focus too much in your life on, Lord, please take this out of my life. And what God really wants you to say is, God, how can you use this in my life? And how can you use me in other people's lives as well through this storm? Just take a moment to pray and then we're going to sing. stand up. If you want to keep praying, just, just stay seated. But everybody else, go ahead and stand up. Let's sing here.
fast. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. people said go in grace and peace tonight we love you have a great evening